0: You are listening to the Already Gone Podcast, sharing stories of the missing, the murdered, the mysterious, and the lost. This week's episode discusses child murder and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. When a family, particularly a family with young children, is visited by tragedy, you'd think they'd had enough that somehow their quota of bad news, loss, and grief was met. Once someone they loved died by violence, they should be spared from enduring it yet again. And I'm certain that by 1995, Kathy Barnes, a mother of three in her 30s, was ready to say uncle, to beg the universe to spare her and her young children from any more tragedy after losing her husband to a violent murder leaving her with three children under the age of six. The subject of today's episode, Barbara Barnes, was just six years old in January of 1989, when her father, Gary, was murdered. The man responsible for her father's death, Louis Duggan, continues to serve a life sentence for the crime. Looking at Barbara and her two younger siblings, children who lost a parent at a young age, One would think they should be spared anything further, that the universe would call a moratorium on tragedy, allowing them to resume something resembling a normal life. That was not the case. You wouldn't think it was possible, but things are about to get harder for them, their young lives more tragic and complicated. Somehow, after losing their father and husband, Barbara, Melissa, Gary Jr., and their mother Kathy soldiered on. Of course, they all missed Gary. Losing him, especially to violence, was a shock. They relied on help from family, including Kathy's sister, Mary, and her husband, Louis Boyce. Kathy and the children moved into an apartment in the same building as the Boyce family, a small apartment where the children slept in one room, and Kathy slept in the living room. Kathy worked a little bit, but mainly relied on Social Security payments to support her family. In December of 1995, Barbara Barnes, the oldest of Kathy and Gary's kids, was in the eighth grade. Despite being in her teens, Barbara was small, barely five feet tall and weighing just 75 pounds. Her hair was long and dark, and usually secured in a ponytail. While her brother and sister took a bus to the elementary school each morning, Barbara walked from her home to Harding Middle School. Thursday, December seventh, 1995 was no different. Barbara got up, dressed, and headed out. Another student, a fellow 8th grader, spotted Barbara near the intersection of Brady and Ridge Avenues, but when he looked back a few minutes later, she was gone. Come with me to a cold winter day in 1995 when 13-year-old Barbara Barnes, daughter, sister, and outstanding student, heads off to school only to cross paths with a monster. Steubenville, Ohio is a small town located on the Ohio River, just across the water from West Virginia's panhandle, and only a few miles east of Pennsylvania. While Steubenville is in Ohio, the nearest big city is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, just 40 miles to the east. Steubenville is best known for Fort Steuben, a reconstructed military fort from the 1800s, and of course at Christmas time, the holiday nutcrackers which dot the town. Hundreds of handcrafted, life-size nutcrackers. They are fascinating to see and draw tourists to the community to shop the holiday market and ride a festive trolley decked out for the season. Barbara Barnes would not live to see her community transformed into a holiday wonderland as the Nutcrackers didn't take shape until long after her murder. On Thursday, December seventh, 1995, Barbara dressed, brushed her hair, tying it up in a ponytail like she often did. It was just another school day. She left at her usual time, heading to Harding Middle School, where she was in the eighth grade. Her aunt's mother-in-law, the elderly Gertie Boyce, who lived in the apartment across the hall from the Barnes family, waved at Barbara from the window as she departed, and Barbara waved back. Barbara's route to school, a quick 10-minute walk, takes her near an entrance to the freeway, Ohio State Route 43, which starts in Steubenville and runs west to Cleveland. Standing at this intersection, Barbara can see the brick school building she attends. At this busy cross street with a freeway entrance, it would be easy for someone to lure her into their car, and leave Steubenville quickly via the freeway. Thursday, December 7th, happens to be a day that an attendance officer is working for the district, and when Barbara Barnes doesn't arrive at school, and there is no call from her family excusing the absence, he makes a visit to the Barnes home, hoping to locate her. However, when he stopped at her apartment, there was no response. Her younger siblings were at school, and mom was off to work. Barbara was known as a good student, a reliable kid, She wasn't likely to cut class. Her school principal will later tell the press that, quote, she was just lovely and never bothered anyone. At the end of the school day, Kathy Barnes is greeted by two of her three children, but there is no sign of her oldest daughter. When Kathy checks with Barbara's friends, she learns that Barbara didn't make it to school that morning. Barbara's uncle, Louis Boyce, drives Kathy to the police department to report that her daughter is missing. When they arrive at the Steubenville Police Department, one of the first questions is, were the two of you arguing this morning? Kathy responds truthfully. She and Barbara didn't fight or argue. It was just a regular day. Did Barbara seem upset or off? No, she seemed okay when she left. Kids went to school like they're supposed to, the two youngest on the school bus and her oldest walked to the middle school. Police make a note of Barbara's description, standing five feet tall and weighing 75 pounds with long brown hair, often worn in a ponytail, and brown eyes. That morning, Barbara left for school wearing a blue shirt, jeans, white athletic shoes, and a tan coat with hood. She was a responsible student and carried her books in a floral print book bag. It appears that there wasn't a scramble to find Barbara. Not by law enforcement, anyway. She was last seen Thursday morning, and searches won't take place until the following week, after Barbara's been missing for three or four days. Sure, police kept an eye out, they made some calls, but there were no boots-on-the-ground type searches for her, other than what was done by her own family. It took Steubenville police until December 11th to rule out the theory that Barbara Barnes ran away from home. When the searches begin, they are intense the North Ohio Valley Search and Rescue Team brings dogs, and Barbara's route to school is retraced. They also check the cemetery located behind the middle school, as teens sometimes like to hang out there, or use the cemetery as a cut-through. If you look at a map of Steubenville, Ohio, you can see that the middle school is adjacent to the cemetery. Teams spend several hours looking for Barbara Barnes, but they find no evidence of the missing girl or her belongings. By the end of the week, Steubenville police call in the Federal Bureau of Investigation for help with the case. Steubenville police also reach out to local media, and her case is in the news and on television. Reporters asking anyone who drove down Brady Avenue that morning to please contact law enforcement. Perhaps they'd seen something without realizing what they saw. Almost two weeks after she vanished, the FBI sets up a tip line, so people can phone in anonymously with information about Barbara Barnes. On December 14th, Barbara has been gone for a week. Her friends and family organize a candlelight vigil, and more than 50 people from the community attend, praying for her safe return and raising awareness of her disappearance. Another search is organized on December 22nd. Teams joined by specially trained dogs scour the area. As neighboring communities and areas are carefully searched, they can be rolled out, allowing the searchers to focus their efforts in other areas in the hope of locating her. Law enforcement, including police and fire units from other communities, step up to help. They'd like to continue searching again the next day, but a snowstorm is headed for the area, blanketing Steubenville and surrounding communities under several inches of snow. This makes for a picturesque Christmas, but it's not helpful to the people looking for a missing child. In the days before Christmas, police pepper shopping areas with missing persons posters for Barbara. They're hoping someone knows where she is and can help her come home. One year earlier, on Christmas Day 1994, Barbara received a brand new bicycle. In 1995, Christmas comes and her presents sit beneath the tree, unopened. Her mother, Kathy, is despondent. Younger siblings Gary and Melissa are upset and fearful. Melissa starts sleeping near her mother, trying to feel safe after the disappearance of her sister. Immediately after the holiday, the search resumes, with volunteers scouring the area and putting up additional flyers. One of those searchers was Franco Panaccio. He was kind enough to speak with me about Barbara's case. Franco explained that the searchers were frustrated not to find any evidence, but knew that as they crossed off areas to search, it was bringing investigators closer to finding her. They went through fields, woods, parks, anywhere that Barbara could be hiding or could be concealed. The searches extended beyond Steubenville. There were a lot of people looking for Barbara and wanting her home safe. As 1996 arrives, Barbara's case slips from the headlines. Her mother is desperate, despondent, and in dire need of support from friends, family, and the community. When her husband was killed several years earlier, that was hard. And even though it had been several years, she had barely gotten back on her feet. Losing her oldest child, her beautiful, intelligent daughter, nearly destroyed her. A loss like this would bring any mother to her knees, but it was particularly hard for Kathy Barnes. According to those who interacted with her, Kathy Barnes had challenges of her own, intellectual disabilities that made it hard for her to advocate for her children, or to provide them with a secure, stable home life. I believe, based on what I've read and heard about this case, Kathy was doing the best that she could, but her limitations made it difficult for her to do more. She loved her children, and she did what she could, but a situation like this overwhelmed her completely. January of 1996 marks the anniversary of her husband's murder years earlier. It's a struggle under the best of circumstances, but with Barbara missing, it's all the worse. Her oldest child, her sweet, smart, dark-haired daughter is gone, and no one can find her. In late February 1996, the mysterious disappearance of Barbara Barnes takes an unexpected turn when remains are discovered in a creek bed in Pennsylvania, not far from the Pittsburgh International Airport. But first, a word from our sponsor. Is there something interfering with your happiness? Something holding you back from achieving your goals? BetterHelp Online Counseling offers licensed professional counselors, specialists in issues like depression, anxiety, relationships, and more. Connect with your BetterHelp counselor in a safe and private online environment. Anything you share is confidential, and using BetterHelp is so convenient. Access the support you need at your own time and pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions with your counselor. Chat and text options are also available. If you aren't happy with your counselor, you can request a new one. Best of all, BetterHelp is affordable. Listeners have already gone get ten percent off your first month with discount code GONE. Get started today. Visit BetterHelp.com/gone and complete a questionnaire to be matched with a counselor. Start feeling better now. Visit BetterHelp.com/gone for ten percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp com slash gone. On Friday, february twenty third, road workers are conducting a wetland survey when they spot bones in a creek bed. Maybe it's a deer carcass, but when they take a closer look, they realize there is clothing with the bones, including white athletic shoes and blue jeans. Barbara's remains were discovered buried on the edge of a creek about a hundred yards from Potato Garden Road in Finley Township, Pennsylvania. Unseasonably warm weather with temperatures around 50 degrees caused a thaw, which sent water running through the creek bed. The running creek uncovered the remains, which are frozen through. While the body is transported to the coroner's office immediately, autopsy must wait at least 24 hours so the body can thaw out for proper examination. Allegheny County Coroner Cyril Wecht performs the autopsy and notes that the body is badly decomposed. Wecht tells the press that despite decomposition, quote, the facial features can be discerned. While no specific mention is made of how long Barbara's body was left outside, it appears that she's been dead for weeks, likely murdered not long after she left for school on December 7th. Newspapers report Barbara's cause of death as strangulation or smothering. I would imagine that the condition of her remains made it hard to pinpoint how she died. Steubenville police drove Kathy to Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, so she could identify Barbara's body. It hurts my heart to know that she did this alone. A widow with no one there to hold her hand or comfort her in what was likely the darkest moment of her life. In an interview with the local paper, Kathy said that she was terrified and prayed that it would not be Barbara. But it was her. It was her daughter. While the family is organizing her funeral, law enforcement has a lot of questions and new paths to pursue as the investigation shifts from missing person to murder. One of the first things that law enforcement discovers is that the parcel of land that Barbara's body was found on has a connection to Barbara's uncle, Louis Boyce. I've seen this explained two ways. One, that the creek bed where her body was concealed is on property owned by the Boyce family. I have also seen it explained that she was found within a mile or so of property owned by the Boyce family. And whether her body was on property owned by the Boyce family or near property owned by the Boyce family, it's a strange and concerning coincidence, especially since someone went to the trouble of taking Barbara 40 miles from Steubenville to bury her remains in a shallow, creekside grave. On February twenty seventh, 1996, a funeral is held for Barbara Barnes. It's been seven years and one month since the funeral for her father, Gary. Barbara's siblings, Melissa and Gary Jr., are ten and six years of age when their sister is laid to rest. Kathy Barnes has no money to bury her daughter, and the city of Steubenville rallies around her to pay for the funeral and purchase a headstone. Much of this is coordinated by Jefferson County Victims Assistance Program Director Phyllis Riccadonna. The funeral of Barbara Barnes is sad and beautiful. Her casket is mauve with silver trim. The lid is decorated with a spray of pale pink flowers trimmed in purple. One of her classmates remarked that she had, quote, the most beautiful casket, and another said that Barbara really missed her dad and was with him again, finding the silver lining in a horrific tragedy. A local printer makes up 300 programs for the service, but it's not nearly enough for the hundreds of people who arrive to pay their respects to Barbara and show support for her family. Many of Barbara's friends and classmates, kids who had grown up with her, are in attendance along with their parents. The service is held at 11 a.m. on Wednesday morning. Students from the middle and high school are welcome to attend and pay their respects, but the schools remind them that this must be done with parent permission. Harding Middle School has therapists and grief counselors in place to work with students and Barbara's friends. One of the school administrators tells the press that they'd feared the worst when she disappeared and had professionals on standby for when this moment arrived. On the day of Barbara's funeral, her uncle, Louis Boyce, is quoted in the newspaper, Parents of the world, protect your children. When asked about who could have done this, he tells the press, quote, she would never get into a strange vehicle. Lewis Boyce became the family spokesperson. Barbara's mother was in no position to talk to the press about the murder of her child. Phyllis Riccadonna, the victim's assistance program director for the Jefferson County Courts, again steps in to help Kathy Barnes during this, her darkest hour. Riccadonna and her husband put up a cash reward for information leading to the arrest of the person responsible for murdering young Barbara. Riccadonna also helped the three remaining members of the Barnes family relocate to another apartment one without so many memories. She also helped Kathy find a steady job so she can better provide for her two surviving children. As the community laid Barbara to rest, the FBI and local police continue their investigation into her murder. They are trying to determine how Barbara Barnes ended up in Pennsylvania, buried on or near property owned by her uncle. If it wasn't her family, who could have known to choose this location? Where was Barbara picked up as she headed off to school? Was it on the busy road near the freeway entrance? Or could her classmate have been mistaken? Maybe Barbara never made it out of the neighborhood. How did someone get her into their car without being seen or heard? Did Barbara know her killer? Did she go with them willingly? There are many unanswered questions surrounding this case. Steubenville, Ohio, is a small town, and the rumor mill starts churning. Could a member of Barbara's family be responsible for her death? While the man who murdered her father remains in prison, there were rumors then, as well, that somehow Gary's murder was a setup, that his death was orchestrated by someone close to the family. And here we are, seven years later, and Barbara is murdered too. Listeners, I've seen a lot of speculation and very little substance to these rumors. Gary Barnes was killed by an acquaintance. The two argued, and the man decided to settle the argument with a gun, leaving three children without a father. Barbara's cause of death is thought to be strangulation or smothering, nothing like the murder of her father years earlier. Before we continue, I need to tell you two things. One, why I chose this case. I don't usually cover cases from Ohio, and this case, if you read about it online seems to point toward her family being responsible. Honestly, that's what bothered me. If her uncle, Louis Boyce, was responsible for Barbara's death, why didn't Steubenville police arrest him, do a perp walk, apply a generous dose of pressure? Why is it that when you research her case, there's only one theory? I wanted to dig deeper. The Louis Boyce angle didn't sit right with me, and I saw several threads around this murder that I wanted to pick at. Two, we're about to do a lot of speculating. We're going to review a couple of theories, talk about people with criminal records and criminal backgrounds, and people known to associate with criminals. Take note, no one was ever prosecuted for Barbara's murder. Her case remains unsolved. The identity of the person or persons responsible for murdering Barbara Barnes and concealing her body remains unknown. We do know that initial attention focused on her family and those closest to her. It's no secret that members of the Boyce family, including Barbara's uncles and cousins, are known to law enforcement, and they may have been involved in less-than-legal activities in and around Steubenville. Which leaves me wondering, what their motivation would be? Why would a member of the Boyce family kill Barbara? They were a close and friendly family. Why put her mother and siblings, who they shared a residence with, through the pain and anguish of losing her? If one of the Boyces, either her uncle or one of his brothers, was responsible for Barbara's murder, why bury her on or near their own property? Why draw attention back to themselves? If they were involved and buried her on their property, why do such a poor job digging the hole and concealing her remains? They wouldn't be disturbed if they dug on their own land, giving them plenty of time to dig a nice deep hole and hide the body forever. Leaving her poorly concealed in a shallow creek bed doesn't make sense. If you decide to do your own research on this case, or do some reading online, you're going to see the Boyce family, particularly Barbara's uncle, Louis Boyce, mentioned time and again. Now, I've read that he lawyered up, and that he refused to cooperate with police. Well, that's what you do if the police are looking at you for murder. You hire a lawyer. This is normal behavior. You exercise your Miranda rights and you obtain representation. If Barbara were aware of illegal activity happening near her home, it's unlikely she would speak out about it. Barbara was very shy and very quiet. Many of her classmates were unaware of the tragic death of her father or the perilous financial situation she lived in at home. There was someone else in Steubenville that may have wanted to harm Barbara, someone who wanted to silence her because they had done something that would cause the normally reserved teenager to speak up and speak out. Someone who knew they'd committed a crime, a serious crime, a crime that could lead them to real trouble with local law enforcement. His name is Richard Calling. Calling, who was in his early 50s when Barbara disappeared, was known to the Barnes and the Boyce families. I've heard that he lived near the Euclid Street apartment the Barnes and Boyce families called home. Richard Calling was the thread I was looking for in Barbara's case, so I started to pull at that thread, and I learned quite a bit. Richard Colling was born in 1943, and he has a long criminal record. In April of 1964, when he was 21, he escaped from the Grafton Prison Farm on the grounds of the Grafton Correctional Facility, about 130 miles northwest of Steubenville, not far from Cleveland, Ohio. Colling would be captured and his sentence extended to reflect his bad behavior. In 1977, Colling and his then wife are arrested and charged with child endangerment and sexual battery. I couldn't track down if the 1977 charges against him led to any prison time. And if you fast forward 18 years from 1977, Colling is living in the Steubenville area, and according to Melissa Barnes, the 10-year-old sister of Barbara, Colling was molesting her doing things to the little girl that no man should do. Melissa confided in her sister that calling had assaulted her on several occasions. Barbara, a smart, reserved young woman, was horrified and tried to figure out what she should do to protect Melissa. It's possible that she didn't want to go to her mother with this information. Kathy was struggling to keep things together for the kids, and she may not have been able to protect her girls. Barbara was likely weighing her options when she vanished. Barbara may have talked to calling herself, telling him to stay away from Melissa, and it's possible that calling approached Barbara that December morning, inviting her into his car so they could talk. Perhaps he presented it as a peace offering. Let me give you a ride to school. I'm real sorry about what happened with Melissa. It won't happen again. Of course, this is all speculation. We know that Melissa told Barbara about the assaults, but we don't know if Barbara ever spoke to anyone about what Melissa confided in her. While Barbara didn't have a chance to tell a responsible adult what happened to Melissa, somehow after Barbara's funeral, Melissa found the strength to tell an adult what happened to her, and Melissa told someone who could help her, and she told them the whole story about Richard calling and the way he'd touched her, how he had forced himself on her and that she'd told Barbara what happened, and now Barbara's dead. Melissa tells the story to law enforcement, and police and the prosecutor begin building a case against Richard Calling. Word of this gets back to Calling, and he realizes that authorities are after him and that he will be arrested for child rape, so he flees Ohio for Arizona. But before the year is over, the 53-year-old is arrested in Arizona and extradited back to Ohio to face charges. In September of 1996, Richard Calling is brought before the Steubenville Court, where a judge orders his case be bound over to the Jefferson County District Court. In Jefferson County, the charges against him are heard before the grand jury. Melissa Barnes, now 11 years old, a little girl who lost her father when she was a toddler and lost her sister when she was in grade school, took the stand to testify against Calling, saying that he had assaulted her on numerous occasions in 1995, and that she'd confided in her sister, Barbara, about the assaults. The theory is that Colling murdered Barbara Barnes to keep her from telling law enforcement about the sexual assault of her younger sister. With the help of an attorney, Kathy Barnes files a civil suit against Richard Calling and the death of her daughter, stating that had Barbara survived, she would have testified against Calling at the trial. Because Barbara's body was buried and out in the elements for so long, and no one saw her being picked up the morning of December 7th, the only thing linking calling to Barbara's case is the testimony of eleven year old Melissa Barnes. And it's not enough for the grand jury. They're left with reasonable doubt and they don't move to prosecute him. Richard calling will not be tried for Barbara's murder or for the sexual assault of Melissa Barnes. Without an indictment and without anyone to corroborate Melissa's story of abuse at the hands of calling, the civil case goes nowhere. The family of three. Kathy and her two surviving children are back in Steubenville, defeated and grieving. If we go back to the day of Barbara's disappearance, there was no struggle, no screaming, no fight. It was like Barbara vanished. Remember, her classmates saw her walking up the road, and then she was gone. It's possible that Richard Colling, a neighbor of the Barnes family, stopped Barbara that morning, asking to speak with her. Perhaps about Melissa, Colling may have said he was sorry and that it would stop, but they needed to talk. It's not hard to imagine that Colling killed Barbara Barnes, the smart and quiet teenage girl, to keep her from telling authorities about what he was doing to her sister. Of course, this is just a theory. I wish law enforcement could have a chat with Richard Colling to see if he has anything to say about the girls in the Barnes family, Barbara and Melissa, but that's no longer an option. Richard Colling was 65 years old when he died in 2009. If he knew anything about the murder of Barbara Barnes, he took it with him to his grave. Kathy Barnes, now in her 60s, still lives in Jefferson County, Ohio. Her two surviving children, Melissa and Gary, have not fared well in the 23 years since their sister was murdered. Gary has a criminal record, and Melissa's struggles are less public, but she too is known to law enforcement. There is no happy ending to the sad story of the Barnes family. This case frustrates and saddens me because someone got away with murdering a 13-year-old girl, and her murder will likely never be prosecuted. Listeners, I believe Melissa Barnes when she says she was sexually assaulted, but a grand jury didn't find enough evidence to bring anyone to trial for what happened to her. It pains me to know that these crimes went unpunished. I spoke with a handful of people who worked with the Barnes family, and they too are saddened and frustrated by how things unfolded. More than one of them wondered if Melissa and Gary could have had a different life. A happier, more stable life had Barbara's murder and Melissa's sexual assault been prosecuted. The investigation into the murder of Barbara Barnes remains open and unsolved. If you have information about this case, contact the Steubenville Police Department at 740- 283-6090. Already Gone is a bi weekly podcast focused on cases from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Already Gone Pod. If you haven't had a chance to rate and review the podcast, please take a moment to do so on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite Podcatcher. If you have questions, comments, or feedback, email me host at don't forget about our sponsor, BetterHelp.com. You don't have to go it alone. Visit BetterHelp.com slash gone for 10% off your first month. I'm Nina Instead, the writer, producer, and voice behind Already Gone. I appreciate you listening, and please be safe.